clear. All right, y'all, I'm just joking. It's not that serious. But like DJ Khaled, we're back with another one. So this time we sat down with Dr. Nate to find out how he became an oculoplastic surgeon. Tune in so you can find out as well and find out all the different varieties and flavors of med school and what it's like. Tune in. At PGD, you're not just a listener, you're family. Is there a career you'd like us to explore or a success story you'd love to share and have us highlight on one of our episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at pgdfam at gmail.com. Subscribe to our show so you can get notified when new episodes drop. Help increase our reach with a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome back, everyone. As usual, I've been combing the mean streets of TikTok, and I have found another one for y'all. So in the medical field, we know about the common position of a physician. But even in being a physician or a doctor, there are different types of specialties that you can go into. So this season, we're going to start to explore that and what some of those different specialties are. We have with us Dr. Nathan. Is it okay that I call you Dr. Nathan? Oh, yeah, that's totally fine. <laughs> and he is going to talk to us about his career journey. So we're going to find out about his specialty. We're going to find out how he got into the medical field. And we're going to ask some questions that are probably questions that you would want to know yourself. So kick in and stay tuned and welcome Dr. Nathan to our virtual couch. Thanks for having welcome. me on the, the virtual couch. It's comfortable. <laughs> we try to be comfortable. I think, we, I think we all are comfortable nowadays with this pandemic. <laughs> like working remotely, I mean, it's just awesome. <laughs> exactly. So I was going to start us off with take us back to teenage Dr. Nathan. He wasn't even a doctor yet. You're in high school. We always like to look at junior, senior year during that time period where it's pretty prevalent for high schoolers and you're thinking about life after school. Did you know at that point that you wanted to go into college and that you wanted to go into medicine or what were you thinking at that time? Uh, I definitely was not thinking about being a doctor (laughs) uh, my junior and senior year. Uh, I actually, I, I played basketball for a long time. Uh, believe it or not, you know, somebody said the other day they thought I was five, six, I'm six, four. And I played, uh, you know, uh, basketball, I even got a basketball scholarship to play college. I didn't, I didn't, uh, follow through with it cause I had gotten hurt, mm. but a lot of my junior and senior year was focused on athletics. And I remember, you know, to the point, to the degree where I even wrote a book report on Kobe Bryant and. Oh, my dad wow. said, you know, there's more than basketball, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it was one of those things where I, I you know, I was always uh, a decent, you know, I, I noticed I was a decent student, uh, just, but I, I wasn't really, I didn't have any goals to do, to go to uh, uh, a crazy Ivy League or mm-hmm. some kind of um, big school. I, I, I mean, my goal at that time was to uh, play basketball. And so when I went to go, um, when I attempted to, uh, play college basketball. I had mm. been hurt my whole senior year. Uh, I'd been playing varsity since I was a, a freshman. And, uh, and so I was so almost kind of groomed to be, uh, I don't want to say the next LeBron, but you know, mm. you know, to, to be something up there. And, mm. uh, I, uh, I had gotten hurt my junior year. And so then things changed a little bit for me. Uh, the schools that were recruiting me were, you know, a little bit smaller. They weren't like bigger D1s. They were mm-hmm. smaller schools. 
And I sort of got discouraged with basketball. And then I got a scholarship at a school in Portland. But by then, I'd gone through so much with my injury um, that I decided that, you know, I, it just wasn't fun for me anymore. And it was the first time in a long time that I started thinking about myself as more than just an athlete. Mm. Um, and then I, I, you know, I started at the University of New Mexico uh, as a freshman, and I still was missing basketball. And so I, I, I did a second attempt. I walked on at a school in California, and I made the team. Mm -hmm. But still, it just didn't feel it just didn't feel right. So once I gave up basketball. Uh, that started a whole cascade of events where uh, that that led me to trying about a bunch of different things until I got to this this uh, this thing called being a doctor. Oh wow, that's a very interesting point though because um, we've had on other episodes and other shows athletes and just the mindset that you're in as an athlete, especially when you're laser focused on making it on that particular track, but they've always highlighted the importance of always thinking about outside of the sport or after the sport or the what if, what if you get hurt and you're not doing the sport, always thinking of other interests and paths to go on. So I find it interesting that you, you fall in that realm. You're a little different in that yeah, you didn't go heavy into it in high school or, or go professional after but I think it definitely highlights the point of you don't want to just solely identify in one way. There could be other options as well. Yeah. Exactly. So, so then okay. how did you, oh, sorry, Rachel. No, 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 you got it. <laughs> <laughs> so then how did you say, okay, you know, um, basketball is not it for me and, and that's okay. How did you kind of say, this is the path I want to go into? Did you try different things and kind of landed there? Mm -hmm. Or was it the school that you got accepted to? Or was it someone, a mentor or someone in the family who kind of directed you towards that? Can you tell us a little bit more how you ended up in the, the field that you did? You know, I, ironically, my dad is, he's a doctor. And because of that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, did you want to become a doctor like your dad? Uh, but I, I actually didn't. I didn't want to become a doctor. It, it wasn't because his life was just this horrible life. And, you know, I mean, he had a great, he had a great, he loved his job. Mm -hmm. But for me, I felt like be, becoming a doctor wasn't something that interested in me. I wanted to, to explore other things. I'm a little bit abstract. I, I'm creative. And for some reason, I thought that if I'm creative and I'm a musician and I, and all those things that becoming a doctor wasn't um, within my I don't want to say reach, but within my sort of uh, realm. And I realized, you know, with time, so initially I wanted to be a, um, a uh, you know, because I, you know, once I started realizing that basketball wasn't going to pan out for me, mm -hmm. I got to the place where I began to think about, well, who am I as a person outside of sports? And mm -hmm. I think that that's the biggest challenge that somebody who's been, who's been an athlete for so long, regardless of the level, whether it's me, you know, not playing college basketball or someone uh, leaving uh, pro professional basketball or, or leaving college basketball. A lot of people who get in the world of athletics or sports, that becomes your life for so long. Mm -hmm. When you get out of that, there's always this weird time where you're thinking, okay, where do I go from here? What do I do? Who am I? Do I have, and, and basketball had filled such a huge 
um, part of my life that it almost felt like there was a void and I didn't know what to do or where to go from there. Then I, I sort of explored different things. I, I taught myself or reinforced um, my learning on piano, on guitar. I started traveling. Uh, I went to my first uh, country alone uh, when I was in college. I went oh, to Belize. Wow. I, I, I did a, uh, at the time I wasn't into medicine, but I was into media. Mm-hmm. And because I was into media, I had an internship with a radio station and a TV station, Belize. And I was there for, for three months. What an experience. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing experience. And I was there and I was there in Belize before everybody, you know, everybody knew it was Belize, Belize, you know, cause now mm-hmm. the tickets are expensive. You know, if you want to try to fly there, but I was there when the tickets were like a couple hundred to get to Belize. And, uh, it really was a beautiful experience. I, 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 it opened my eyes when you travel and you see a culture or you see a world outside of your own, especially when you're young, it opens your eyes and it really can set the tone. I mean, I've seen, I saw some of my friends who traveled for the first time when they were, were 17, 18, 19, mm-hmm. and it really set the tone for their careers and how they traveled and how they maneuvered and how they saw what, what they wanted to do. Um, it's, it set them up for, for success. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that uh, one of the things that for me, exploring myself, getting to know myself, I sort of, I think when you're in that process of really trying to uh, become well-rounded and really trying to uh, make sure that you're pursuing things you're passionate about and th- things that you love, though, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the biggest lesson I learned was, okay, I don't need to be a basketball player to be, to be fulfilled and happy. There are other things I like. I like music. I, I like traveling. Um, and I think that that experience for me I was able to sort of grow and mature, and then I considered other careers. I, I, you know, at first I thought, hey, it would be nice to be a a psychology professor, uh, and that was one of the first things I I thought about because I was essentially I was a, a major in biology and a major in psychology, mm-hmm. uh, and I just love psychology courses for for whatever reason, psychology and sociology, and a minor in sociology. So. Um, for whatever reason, I, I love sociology. I love psychology. I love the way people think. And uh, I've always been fascinated with that. Uh, but I, you know, I do have uh, African parents who are like, you know, you are not going to do psychology. You know, they, it does not pay. And, uh, you know, for me, it's one of those things where, you know, you do feel that pressure at times, um, especially coming from an immigrant family. Uh, to, to sort of have to do something more because I think perfectly it's perfectly fine to be a psychology professor and I think it would have been perfectly great uh, acceptable right but I think there was also that component of you know trying to make your parents happy a little bit mm-hmm. uh, which I would advise that it's so important to do what you want to do for you uh, and then I you know I considered other things I considered uh, becoming an optometrist. Um, and then again, you know, that's where the African parents came in. They said, why, you know, why become an optometrist when you can become an optometrist? <laughs> and, um, you know, then again, it's like, you can't win, right? Then I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll be, I'll try to, you know, I went to Howard. I did research, uh, you know, at some point in time, I decided that I wanted to do uh, uh, pre-med, right? And, uh, you know, a few things had happened in my life. I had, my, my mom had gotten sick. A friend of mine had gotten sick. And I spent a lot of time in the hospital. And it sort of had me the wheels turning about becoming a doctor or being in healthcare. Um. 
In between shows, keep the conversation alive with the youth in your households with our series, The Adventures of Sophie and Olivia, available on Amazon and directly on our website, pgd-innovations.com. The link is in our show notes. Don't forget to check out our merchandise and we have some limited time gear only that's available this season. Don't miss out. And then I did, then I did a, a, a trial. I said, you know what, if I take this chemistry class and it goes well, <laughs> then I'm going to try to, I'm going to keep taking classes and seeing if they go well. I didn't really commit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it, which is interesting because it's almost, it was almost like a defense mechanism by saying I had a way out. If I didn't do well, I, I have a way out. And it shouldn't be like that, but that was how young Nate thought. And so, um, I took, uh, I took my first course. I took my first few classes I kept doing well and kept doing well, uh, and then I decided to do. I, I got accepted into this this uh, competitive research program called Amgen so, Scholars. So before and, we get there, so all of this was during your undergraduate years, right? With you kind of exploring, traveling, figuring things out while you were trying to pursue your bachelor's degree, right? Yes. Okay. okay yeah. And then you were doing pretty well, right? Grades are looking good. You're not being bored by these subjects, and so then. So what happened at that point? So what? So how did you transition out of getting your degree into this research program? Well, I mean, I I, I did the research program while I was getting my degree. Oh, okay, okay. all right, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. So I spent basically a semester at Howard. Mm-hmm. This- oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, and what was it like being a part of the research program? What what interest did that spark in you? I mean, I, I just, I mean, at the time I was so into just being at Howard, <laughs> you, you know, like it was, it was, I, I mean, cause you have to think about, it. I grew up, I, I was mostly at the majority school and I, you know, most of my experiences were, I, I didn't have that experience of, of seeing somebody who looked like me that wanted to take the, the mm. MCAT, that was taking the MCAT too, or was mm. taking the DAT or that was. Uh, going to go and do a internship for Viacom or MTV, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I didn't see, I didn't see people. So I was just excited. And, <laughs> um, you know, I, I forgot I was there for the research and, and I <laughs> ultimately did, uh, I ultimately did research on breast cancer, the effects of exercise on breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we looked at uh, some cells, some cell growth factors that were involved in tumor growth and, uh, in its relationship with with exercise, in um, I, I believe it was, it was it was mice or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think that uh, you know, I think that we, you know, one of one of the things. Well, not mice, but I, for, I forget what it was. But I remember we we were just doing it, that. That was the research that I had done, and then I presented it at um, a symposium at UCLA. But I think that for me, when I was at Howard. That's when I, I was, you know, because I always had this, I wanted to be a doctor, but I also had that fear of becoming a doctor because I, I was scared about how long it would take. Mm-hmm. I was scared about how hard it would be to get in. Mm-hmm. I was worried about missing out on life and missing out on a bunch of other things. So I was always looking for another route, another path in a way. And so for me, I thought, hey, maybe I could, you know, when I was at Howard, I, they had a really strong dental school. And when I was there, I saw the dental students and I, and I thought to myself, what if 
I did dental school and I still became a doctor, but you know, I don't have to do the residency part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then again, my dad was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Let's right size him. <laughs> it, it just, yeah, no, if you're going to go to dental school, you might as well just well, go to medical school. <laughs> so here we are back again, full circle. And so I would be remiss if I didn't say I am a, an HBCU alum, Florida a and University. So I completely understand how it feels to walk around and look to see people who look like you um, pursuing, um, you know, education, you know, it, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing thing. I, I can't, I can't put words to it, but I'm, I'm glad for that experience. So now here you are thinking that you're going to be a dentist. That doesn't happen. Um, but your specialty, and I'm probably going to botch this, so please correct me if I'm wrong, is oculoplastic surgeon. Yep. surgeon right? Yes, that's, o- that's o- o- yeah, oculoplastic surgeon. There we go. The okay, hardest part it. is the oculo. Once you get through that, you know, yeah. it's good. Oculoplastic. All right. So that's the specialty. So now how did you go from... Hanging out in Belize, we up in Howard, you almost were fooling around in people's mouths, but that didn't quite happen, <laughs> to narrowing it down to your specialty. I, I honestly, uh, you know, so, so for me, at that time, I, I didn't even know what oculoplastics was, I'll be honest with you. Mm. I, 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 just, I just thought that I was going to be just a general doctor. You know, because I saw doctors in the hospital, the white coats, and I was like, hey, you know, I, I kind of want to be like that, taking care of people in the hospital and, and making those decisions. And that was what I thought about when I went into medical school. So when I got into medical school, I explored different pathways. And uh, medical school is interesting because a lot of what you become is affected by how you do in, in medical school. You can't just be like, oh, I want to be a, a, a neurosurgeon, right, mm-hmm. if neurosurgery is competitive and you you don't you're not competitive as an applicant mm-hmm. so that there's 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 layers of of that grind you know it's not just getting into med school if you get into med school you'll be a doctor but then the next question is what kind of doctor am I going to be mm-hmm. uh, and so for me I spent a lot of my years just making sure that I at least had the grades and the the, the scores on rotations and the board scores and all, all kinds of stuff like that that to to be in that position to choose what I wanted to do uh, and the whole, most of the time I spent in med school, I, in the back of my head, I, I thought about doing eye surgery because I had seen this cool documentary and, uh, and I saw them doing eye surgery, uh, overseas in cataract surgery and people were crying. They were seeing, so I was like, this would be really cool. But I was so, so I was so into radiology at the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't really look into it. I was into, I, I liked interventional radiology, which is essentially combining, uh, the knowledge of images with the knowledge with the ability to do procedures based off of the images uh, that you're, you're seeing, and so I like that. I love the technology. And then one day I realized I said to myself, "Well, you know, what if what if I'm not able to do this, you know, in another country, or what if I'm not able to do this because it's so technologically advanced? There's no mm-hmm. way I can do this abroad." Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that's the young version of me thinking. You can literally do whatever you want whenever you want right but mm-hmm. I in my head I thought maybe I should become an ophthalmologist so that I can do surgery in a, in other countries as well mm-hmm. uh, and so then when I got to, you know I switched to ophthalmology last 
last uh, minute. And then when I was doing ophthalmology, I, I liked ophthalmology in general as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a good lifestyle. It was, uh, you know, good. And, you know, the patients weren't super sick. So you didn't get that feeling that I had when I was in internal medicine. And I was depressed because, it, you know, I was seeing so many people die. And I knew that, that, that I didn't want to be exposed to that constantly in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's different, but that was just sort of my, my preference. Um, and I also want to have a life outside of medicine. And ophthalmology has a good lifestyle uh, for, 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 your, for a doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I did my ophthalmology training, I realized that I did all, a bunch of rotations, retina, glaucoma, uveitis, um, oculoplastics. And I realized that I actually really enjoyed the – when I did oculoplastics and I did the rotations and I did all the surgeries, that I noticed that the time would go by faster. I noticed that I enjoyed doing the surgeries more. I enjoyed being in the clinic more. And I also noticed that I would get a lot of compliments off of my work. You know, the oculoplastic uh, attending at the time would say, I saw that surgery you did. It looked really good. I saw that procedure nice. you did. It looked really good. Mm-hmm. And even um, in my fellowship, uh, you know, there were, there were, you know, my fellowship director was, was really, really talented and he was um, tough on me. And, and, but there were times where, you know, when I was doing surgery alone and then he saw the patient later, you know, he would say, I, I saw that uh, surgery you did, the results look really, really good. And so it was something that I noticed I got good feedback about. It was something I liked and it was something that, when I when I'm doing, I don't feel like oh man, I'm looking at the time. Like oh lord, I need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And that those are ways I tell I tell students those are ways you can know you like something without having to go through a checklist of if you like it. You know, it's very simple. If you're doing something and you're not having to look at the time or the time goes by fast, or you you find yourself talking about it a lot naturally, bringing it up a lot. Um, you know, those are those are signs that you might like something. Right. That's good advice. I love that. Yes. And I love the fact that you also tried different things. I think sometimes the the tone that gets put out there is that by the time you graduate high school, you need to already know what you want to be when you grow up and you got to have things solved. And or that by the time you go into college, you need to already know what you want to do as opposed to taking the approach. Okay, I'm in college to figure that out. And to try different things and explore different things and and see what fits. And I think your story definitely highlights that and the importance of just exploring different interests until you figure out where your niche is. I love that. So now you're an oculoplastic surgeon. You've gone through your residency. What is that like? So do you have a period of residency and then once you're done, you are essentially on your own and can go work for a hospital or a private clinic or what happens during that time period when you're wrapping up the residency portion of things? Well, yeah, that's a good question. So basically when you're done with medical school, you graduate and you become a doctor, you're given a degree. Uh, in my case, it was an MD. Uh, mm-hmm. there's al- there are also DOs uh, who are also considered physicians. Uh, it's important to note that because a lot of people are sort of throwing out the 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 doctor um, um, title because there are a lot of other uh, healthcare uh, professions that are also doing 
uh, an extra, you know, more time, and they're also getting doctorates. Mm -hmm. um, but but for us, it's not just the doctorate or or getting our professional degree. It's also we have to do training in a specialty, and that's what makes becoming a physician becoming a physician. It's not so much us graduating school and becoming a doctor and going out to work. It's 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 us mastering and sort of putting together everything we learned in medical school in residency, which is a time intensive period mm -hmm. where you're working. Sometimes there were times I was working 80 hours a week. Oh, wow. There were times I, I was, I was waking up at 5am and going back home at 10pm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's a different level than medical school because in medical school, you're, you're, you're learning your, your, the first couple of years you're, you're doing book learning, you're in lectures that the last couple of years you're doing rotations, mm -hmm. but you still don't have that, that responsibility yet. As a resident, you can write orders, you can uh, uh, write prescriptions, you 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 can um, you could do procedures, you could do a lot of different things, and you're basically functioning as a doctor who's still learning, uh, but but you're still under another doctor who is called or she, who, he or she uh, who is called the attending. Mm -hmm. And so once you're uh, training uh, and you see patients and you usually uh, staff your patients or you run your patients by an attending and there are different levels of experience. So a first year resident is not going to be on the same level as a third or fourth year resident. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes the third and fourth year residents serve as senior level residents for the younger residents and they help them. Right. And mm -hmm. so yeah. there's sort of a, a process that you go through to become an oculoplastic surgeon. Uh, you have to go through an ophthalmology residency. And then you have to go then do an oculoplastic surgery fellowship because the types of surgeries uh, we do in oculoplastics require more time and extra training. And even though we do a lot of those, uh, some of those surgeries within our residency, there's still sort of another tier or level to it. For me, uh, that, that's sort of what I, I felt worked best for me. And just by doing that extra time, it, it allowed doors to open for me that would have never opened for me had I not done that. And so oculoplastic surgery is really cool because I'm able to do not just eye, eye, surgery, eye surgery, but I'm also able to do surgery around the face and the eye. And it gives me a little bit more creativity, a little bit more space. I was meeting with some dermatologists today and we were talking about when people have skin cancers and when they take the skin cancer out, sometimes they're left with a hole around the eye or a hole around the, the face. And I go in and I do surgeries that help reconstruct, uh, you know, those, those holes or do flaps or grafts or different things like that. You sort of have to have a personality that's, that's willing to try new things um, and with com and combined with your learning, right? You have mm -hmm. to be creative, but also trust your training. And that's something when I came out of Howard, they always told me, you know, you know, make sure you trust your training, and and that's an important thing um, as a as an oculoplastic surgeon. Uh, but also, the world is always progressing and changing. There are new technologies, new uh, things in cosmetics, new things in functional surgery. So you have to stay on top of that knowledge. Is there a case that you've had either as a resident or as the physician that you are today that is just something memorable? that has just stuck with you to this day? There is, and it's not like an inspirational case. It's kind of like a random thing that I saw. So my, my first 
my first uh, call as an ophthalmology resident, I, I went to go see uh, a woman that was on the hospital floor. And it was late. It was, it was like 8.30 or 9 p.m. Mm -hmm. And it was my very first call. I had my little bag ready that had the <laughs> pen to check, to check the eye pressure. And I had the little cards to check the vision, the, the little glasses that they need to read if they're old. And, you know, I was ready to go. I go up there. I introduce myself. She's very pleasant. And I remember I lifted up the eyelid to sort of, you know, open up the eye, you know, because I was, you know, for some reason she was squinting or I don't know. I don't remember. I just remember I lifted up the eyelid uh, to inspect to a little bit more room. And then the eyeball slid out oh. in front in front of the uh, just like it just it subluxed. It, it was it moved forward. Oh my it, it was one of those cartoon or Beetlejuice kind of moments. And I was. I, I've never seen it's my first I didn't know what that was at the time and I was so blown away and she started yelling and cursing and cussing at me and <laughs> the nurses either they weren't doing anything and I didn't know what to do and the only thing I could think she was like oh my gosh it's, oh, it's hurting it's hurting oh my gosh she was screaming and I just pushed it back in and then oh she my calmed, goodness calmed what down. she was wow. breathing got her some water waited a few minutes and I said is it cool if I finish the exam and she was like, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, and so, goodness. yeah. So, so I mean, like, that was the most memorable because, you know, that's I memorable never, for me. Yeah. Yeah. I had never seen anything like that before, you know, and, that, and that's not something you want to see on your first, your first ever <laughs> I, I doctor call shift. And <laughs> it was wild, you know, and, and, and for me, that, that was one of those things where I, I told myself, I, I remember asking, I remember asking my senior residents, what, what was that? What, what, what is that? Why did her eyes slip out like that? Right. But, uh, you know, from that point on, I, I would have gone on to see many, many crazy things. Okay. But don't leave me in suspense. I, I need to understand. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> what, yeah. So is this something that the person now needs to do surgery to correct? Or was it something like there's some sort of physical therapy that needs to happen? How did you handle that going forward? Yeah. I, I just need to know. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, it's it's you know, I think I think that you know in that in that situation, uh, so globe so the, the 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 word for that is globe subluxation, mm -hmm. and essentially, um, you know, sometimes there could be laxity you know usually it's due to you know you you, you manipulate the lid mm -hmm. and sometimes patients who already have a tendency for bulging eyes or they have mm. loose you know thi thyroid patients okay. uh, or patients that have sort of loose uh you know uh, connective tissue around the area or they mm. already have a little bit of a, what's called proptosis where their eyes are sticking out further than they should um, they're prone to this, and when you lift up the lid, um, that could happen. It can oh. happen, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. And so, yeah, because usually a patient, um, uh, a patient, or you know, let's say a caregiver, can spread the eyelids, mm -hmm. and that can cause cause a posterior pressure against the globe. So then the globe can ad ad advance, um, and this can, you know, essentially cause a you know con contraction of what's yeah. called the orbicularis muscle. Um, and that causes the eye to move forward, to lock forward. And then, um, 
in that that in that situation, it makes the manipulation and repositioning of the of the eye back, uh, you know, very difficult. So it can be like a very scary thing. And so there's a lot of complications um, that can that can potentially happen uh, from from that um, if it's acute. In general, in general, it's it's a rare complication, uh, and you know, it's it's basically that when the eye moves anteriorly, and uh, you know, it's 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 scary at first. I yeah. I, I don't think yeah. I've seen another case of that. No, uh, but I, think well, I mean it's. Yeah, it's one of those situations. Letting this be your first case yeah. is like, wow. You know, like now you can almost handle anything else that kind of comes your way, right? Because now you're like, man, you know, what else could possibly come my way for me to handle? So I think kind of dusting yourself off in the sense of having that experience, it, it was, I, you know, <laughs> I just I just feel like everything else is kind of smooth selling at that point. <laughs> Wow! Thanks for sharing. I mean, yeah, that is that's yeah, that's memorable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what advice would you give someone who wants to enter into this field? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that one thing that I, I advise people is that you should really know yourself, and I, I say that because not to be cliche, but it's important to spend time exploring who you are and getting to know what you like and what you don't like in life in general. Mm-hmm. You're not going to like everything that your friends like. And just because your friends don't like something doesn't mean that's not going to be the thing for you. Mm-hmm. And you have to really be honest with yourself about what you want to do with your life. I think a lot of people uh, may be influenced by parents or they may be influenced by uh, the the culture and and none of those things are, are necessarily terrible, if, especially if it's a positive thing that you're being influenced to do. But you have to make sure that you're doing something for you and for yourself. And when you're young, you don't really know how something's going to be like when you're until you're actually uh, in that field. So when you're you, you don't know. When I was younger, even me wanting to be a doctor, going through med school, the life as a doctor now. There's a lot of things that I didn't know, even when I was in med school, because it's just different when you're actually out there practicing as a doctor. And that's why it's important to shadow. It's important to spend time with people who are practicing and not just people who are in the process, because people who are studying, taking the MCAT or they're in med school or they're on the grind to try to get in. Sometimes mm-hmm. they, they may be frustrated or disillusioned or uh, it, it's difficult to get to a place where, you know, you you know, they're happy with the grind because it's really hard. But when somebody's done, they're not studying anymore. They're done with their tests. They're done with their classes. They're done with their boards, and they're out there working. You want to ask them, how is it now that you're done with everything? Would you do it again? Mm-hmm. And I think that some people would say yes. Some people would say no. And that's with every field. Mm-hmm. But. I think that as you explore, as you shadow doctors, as you watch YouTube videos about different types of doctors, you follow different doctors on Instagram and their life and their journey, I think that you can get an idea if you can picture yourself doing that too. Um, I think that's why it's so important to explore. And it may not be becoming a doctor. It could be becoming an engineer. It could be becoming um, a teacher. It could be becoming a lawyer. Whatever it is. You know, do you see yourself doing that? And is it something you like? A lot of people say pursue your passion, 
and that gives you a sort of a pressure to feel like you have to do something you're so passionate about. And I tell people, just do something that you like. Maybe your passion is your job. Maybe it's not, right? But as long as you like what you do, you'll be okay. And I think because when you like it, you don't feel like it's, it's hard to get through it or it's hard to do. Right. The same thing that somebody else thinks is, is, is too difficult or too much of a hassle to you, if you like it, isn't actually a hassle. And you might even find joy in it. So I think that, that the number one thing is know yourself. If you know that you want to have a family or you know you don't want to be working long hours or maybe you don't care if you work long hours, maybe you want to do something that's intellectually stimulating. Maybe you want to do something that uh, allows you to work with your hands or be a surgeon. I mean, it's easy to think about, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that, but you have to go and explore it, research it, shadow people, see if you like something, because if you don't do that, you will never really know what what you, you know, you're supposed to do. And if you know yourself, like, for example, I knew that I didn't want to spend my life uh, working 80 hours a week after I was done with medical school after I was done with residency. And so I picked amongst fields that allowed me to have a normal eight to four or nine to five and weekends off, right? And not every doctor's specialty has that, right? I, I knew that I wanted to do surgery. So I did a field that where I did surgery. And, and there's a whole list of things that I, I made a list when I was in med school of things that I wanted in life in general. And then I found a career and that matched those things that I want in life and didn't go against it. I like that. I think that's a very good um, perspective to take as well. So, but with that being said, so you got pros and cons with everything you do, even things that you love, things that are your passion. So what would you say with your field and specialty? What is one pro? And then what is one con? I think a pro is that I get to use I get to use my creativity to to make people's lives better and to to you know I love doing surgery I love being able to think out of the box to think okay what can we do for this person mm -hmm. uh, what you know how can we fix this problem that they have and I I like that I like the ability to have that freedom to to see a problem I look at it right there, right in front of me, and I can say, oh, if I do this, 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 or maybe this technique or that technique, I can fix that problem. And that's the type of doctor I wanted to be, right? So that was a pro for me. I didn't, I, you know, there's some doctors who think about the problem. They say, okay, I see that you know, they have this symptom and that symptom, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to diagnose them and, and be a thinker, right? Um, as a doctor, I'm a thinker, but I also like to be a fixer. And so I, I like to see something. And that's a pro of it. I think a con is that um, surgery is, surgery can be stressful mm -hmm. at the same time as much as it is fun. Uh, sometimes when you're, you know, I, I also do surgery on tumors and cancers. And sometimes when you're doing big surgeries or you're doing big cases, you don't always know what you're getting into or what, what, what's going on. I mean, you obviously do your reading, you do your research, you prepare, mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes you're in a surgery and someone, let's say, could bleed, right? I was doing a case 
uh, with a resident when I was in fellowship and we were doing a, we were fixing a, a trauma and somewhere my resident was doing, was closing um, and all of a sudden it started just gushing blood everywhere. My resident, and, and, and there's vessels in the face, uh, there's deep vessels as well. And where we were, there was a, a pretty decent sized vessel. And so he, he just sort of froze yeah. <laughs> and he didn't know what to do. Right. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I switched places with him. I said, I need to take care of this. And I spent, I don't know how, how much time just finding the vessel and cauterizing the vessel and stopping the bleeding so that it wasn't a problem later. Mm -hmm. And that, and I, I remember the medical student that was also there was like looking at me like in awe, like, well, Oh my gosh, how, how did you do that? But that's, that's one of those things where even though I'm doing it, I'm doing it, you know, in that case, I was supervising the resident. I, I'm doing it to sort of handle that case. It was stressful, right? Because mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, if, if I don't know the way it was gushing out, the way it was bleeding, if I didn't find that vessel, guess what it was going to keep doing? <laughs> it was going to yeah. keep bleeding. And when it bleeds like that, the next thing that happens is you can't see. Mm. And if you can't see, then it's like you're just in a hole and you're just fighting that blood, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot of other examples for how sometimes surgery or complications can happen. And that can happen to even the most amazing surgeons and the most amazing doctors. So that's a con that I would say about it, not just osteoplastics, but any surgery, whether you're doing cataract surgery or you're doing um, any kind of uh, other type of surgery, general surgery, mm -hmm. you always have to be aware that it's like a, a pilot, right? When a pilot goes up and says, you know, we're, we're, we're going to go for takeoff, there's a set, a set of checklists that he, ha he or she has to meet for the plane to go off, to take off, to be in cruise control, and to, to land. And when they're up in the air, sometimes they say there's unexpected turbulence. And the unexpected turbulence is what it is. It's unexpected. Mm -hmm. And as a surgeon, the pro is that you are able to sort of say, oh, shoot, I thought we were going to do this, but now we're going to go th this way because <laughs> I just saw this, right? Um, but, you know, the, the, the con is it also comes with a certain degree and a certain level of stress. And that's, and that's for me, that's, that's the only thing I would, I would say about that. Yeah, something as routine as that can, like you said, complications can happen. And, mm -hmm. and if you're not prepared for it, it, it could have been just a, an extremely ugly situation. Um, it could have yeah, been and, <laughs> and we, always, we used to say, uh, when I was training um, in med school, one of the general surgeons used to say that there is no such thing as routine surgery. Because <laughs> <laughs> anything could, could happen. Yeah, so true. Thank you for that. So... What would be some final thoughts that you feel would be important to impose upon anyone? It could be someone young that's interested in uh, just trying to figure out if the medical field is for them, or it could be someone that is already in the working field and is looking to change your career. What might be some words of advice that you want to give them or words of inspiration? I think that you have to um, stay true to yourself. And I think Along life, you're going to see things that you thought you liked and then you realize that you actually didn't like it because things look, look different from afar. Sometimes you see something from afar and it looks really good and then you get up close to it and you're like, nah, that, that's not it. And you have to be honest with yourself. And, and if you ever run into a situation where you thought something was for you 
and then you realize that it wasn't for you, um, don't try to make it work if it doesn't have to be that way. Now, if you have, you know, you don't want to, you know, jump ship and, and be responsible and quit something that is going to leave you stranded, mm -hmm. but you want to plan a reasonable escape plan because, you know, the, the, the time that it takes to do something that you like and the quality of your life doing something you enjoy far outweighs doing something for 20 or 30 years that you did just because you settled into it or it was like the, the it was just there right in front of your face. Um, you know, people always ask, you know, like, was the time worth it going to med school and becoming a doctor? And I think it's worth it if you like what you do, because I would much rather be an oculoplastic surgeon than sitting at some office somewhere and, and taking maybe, you know, it, you know, for me personally, I think it's so cool. What I do is unique. What I do is fun. And, and I'm well compensated for what I do. So it's not like I feel like, oh, man, these years were, were wasted. I'm, I'm, I'm still in a position that I would never – I mean, I would have to be a lot of other things to be in the position I'm in. And so, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think that it's a blessing. And I, and, and I, would, I would advise I, – I talk to a lot. I mentor a lot of people. I mentor a lot of people who come to me and say, hey, Nate, I'm, I'm 38 years old. I'm 39. I've been an accountant. I want to go to med school. And I tell them, do it. Go. And, and really make sure you do it, stay true to yourself because to somebody else that might be like, oh man, I'm too, I'm too old or I, 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 you know, I'm running, I'm running out of time, but it's quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. Um, people are miserable just being on there. I know people who are miserable who finished at 24, 25, they're miserable with what they're doing, yeah. even mm -hmm. though I just started <laughs> working as a private practice doctor. Right. And I, I, I'm, I'm one of four or I, I forgot the latest numbers, but last I checked, I'm one of four oculoplastic surgeons in an area that serves millions of people. So, you know, that, that comes with really cool opportunities yeah. and really cool leverage when you're negotiating with, with, with practices and with, with groups and, and all of those things. And so I, I would say stay true to yourself because whatever you really like, whatever you're passionate about, you can turn that into income. And you just have to be consistent. You know, it's, it's something I've learned throughout. We were talking about social media a little bit before the, the, the podcast. And we, we were talking about how, you know, social media can have reach. And one of the things that I, I consult other doctors and other people with their social media is you have to be consistent, right? You have to be consistent over a long period of time, even when you don't feel like doing it. And, uh, you know, because when you know, when you've identified what you want to do and where you want to go, the, you have to stop thinking about it over and over and wondering and pondering and because at some point a decision needs to be made, right? Mm -hmm. And once you decide that, okay, I put in the GPS and that's the direction I'm going, then you got to stay consistent with it. And you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days, but you'll never ever regret staying true to yourself. And that's such an important thing I've learned is no matter what you do, make sure that it lines up with your personal values and what you've worked pictured for your life because if you're doing something that doesn't do that it doesn't vibe with you you know it's going to be really really hard to have that work-life balance because work-life balance isn't just about you know having free time when you're off and getting off right at five and rushing home work-life balance is actually enjoying what you do even when you're at work yeah you have shared some gems mm -hmm. with us today yeah thank you for that thank i you. mean quality over quantity, mm -hmm. <laughs> doing what you're passionate about, 
And I love this piece here, consistency. Mm -hmm. I mean, because someone will do something for a day, two days, and be like, oh, it's not working. You didn't give it a chance. You didn't stick with it. How do you know it didn't work out, right? So thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing this with us. Because, I mean, there's just so many opportunities out there for us, but we just don't know about it because when we look around, we don't see anyone who looks like us. Mm -hmm. And so you sharing with us your journey, where you're at today, it means a lot um, to myself. I know it means a lot to Rachel and definitely to our listeners, for those that are interested in thinking outside of the box and trying something that um, they didn't think that they would be trying. So we really appreciate you taking the time and just sharing with us. Yes. And if anyone wants to follow you on social media, um, whether it be TikTok, Instagram, how can people find you? Yeah, so people can find me uh, doc underscore NK. So D-O-C underscore N-K. You can find me on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. Okay, cousins. So that wraps us with another episode sitting on the virtual couch with Dr. Nate. Check out our show notes if you want to find links to his social media and definitely follow him to get more information or reach out to him if you're interested and you want more questions. Tune in next week where we're going to have another visitor on our virtual couch. And in the meantime, between time, like, subscribe, give us a review on Apple and definitely send us an email. We'd love to hear from you and we'll see you next week.